we're going to pick up where we left off uh, some days ago in the Psalms, tonight turning to Psalm 81. Psalm 81 is for the choir director on the Gittith, a psalm of Asaph. Sing for joy to God, our strength. Shout joyfully to the God of Jacob. Raise a song. Strike the timbrel, the sweet-sounding lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon, on our feast day. For it is a statute for Israel, an ordinance of the God of Jacob. He established it for a testimony in Joseph when he went throughout the land of Egypt. I heard a language that I did not know. I relieved his shoulder of the burden. His hands were freed from the basket. You called in trouble, and I rescued you. I answered you in the hiding place of thunder. I proved you at the waters of Meribah. Hear, O my people, and I will admonish you. O Israel, if you would listen to me, let there be no strange God among you, nor shall you worship any foreign God. I, the Lord, am your God, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice, and Israel did not obey me. So I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own devices. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would quickly subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. Those who hate the Lord would pretend obedience to him, and their time of punishment would be forever. But I would feed you with the finest of wheat, and with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. Father, I pray that you would satisfy us tonight, that your word would be sweet as honey to our taste, that you would convict us tonight, that you would convince us to praise you, you would help us to see and know your care for us from this psalm, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Happy New Year. I think we all know that we're supposed to say that on January the 1st. We think we know what it means, but it's really kind of vanilla, isn't it? It doesn't really necessarily have uh, any structure to it or, or any specifics behind it. But Psalm 81 here gives us something more specific more concrete for the new year. That's what this psalm is for. This psalm was meant to be sung and meditated over on the Jewish new year. On the first day of their civil year, the new moon, verse 3, in the month of Tishri, a ceremonial blowing of trumpets would take place. They would have a feast day. All the elements that we find there in verse 3, blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon, On our feast day, that was the New Year's Day. And this is a psalm that was written for that occasion. It was meant to be sung and thought through and applied every first day of the year. Perhaps it was a prescription even for how God's people could actually have a happy New Year. Now, of course, we're coming to this passage neither on the Jewish New Year nor on our own but simply because it's the next one in a row in the Psalms. And not only that, um, but we come to it because it's never too late in the year for a fresh start, is it? We like New Year because it seems to afford us a fresh start, but it's never too late to have a fresh start. This is a reminder, this Psalm, that at the head of the year, you are to rejoice, verse 1, 
and to put away your foreign gods, verse 9, and to listen to God and walk in His ways, in verse 13, and therefore experience His blessings, in verse 16. New Year's is a good time to do those things, isn't it? But there's never really a bad time to do those things, is there? There's never a bad time to rejoice in the Lord and to put away foreign gods and to listen to God and walk in his ways and to experience his blessing. May 1st is just as good a day for those things as January 1st, isn't it? Maybe today is the day for some of us to have a fresh start at rejoicing and putting away small g gods and listening and walking with the Lord and experiencing his blessing and thereby, thereby, as it were, entering into the year of the Lord's favor, even in the middle of our current calendar year. This is a psalm for the new year. It's really a psalm for a fresh start. And so I want to walk you through this new year psalm, through this renewal to which God called his people every first of the month of Tishri. He wanted the year, first of all, to begin with rejoicing. Verses 1 through 3. Rejoicing. Sing for joy to guard our strength. Shout joyfully to the God of Jacob. Raise a song. Strike the timbrel, the sweet-sounding lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon, on our feast day. I think it's significant that the Jewish New Year began every year with trumpets and with singing and with joyful shouting. It's to be a reminder to them of the kind of God that we have. There are many reasons, of course, for us to repent, and we'll come to that as we move along in the psalm, but there are many reasons for us to rejoice, too. God is a good God. He's a father. He's not out to get us. He's not out to make our lives miserable because of our sins. He loves to do us good. If we open our mouth wide, verse 10, he's willing to fill it. If we will listen to him, verse 16, he will feed us with the finest of wheat. He is our strength, verse 1. And he is therefore worth our rejoicing. And they would start the year, therefore, by blowing trumpets and singing and shouting joyfully, rejoicing in the Lord. Now, there are, yes, dark seasons in life, aren't there? More than we would like to count. There are times when it seems like the night will never end and the morning will never come. But there is a morning, isn't there? And in the morning, Psalm 30, comes a shout of joy. And surely that pattern of darkness followed by light is partly why we have a new year. Partly why God arranged the years and the months and the seasons the way he did. The new year is meant to speak to us of light after darkness, of a new start. It's the same reason God gave us the seasons, perhaps, at least one of the reasons. So that, for instance, when new life springs out of the ground every year at this time, we're reminded that winter is only a season. Darkness is only a season. Someday... There will be trumpets blowing again. Someday there will be reason to rejoice again, even during those winter seasons. Someday, for us, we know Jesus will return to this earth, and he will bring with him the dawning of a new day. He will bring with him a new year of God's favor, when every tear will be wiped away, when every stain will be removed from our garments, when every hope will be fulfilled, when every joy will be made complete. And I say maybe that's why God gave us sunrises and changes of seasons and new years. And maybe that's why we instinctively know 
that these are times of rejoicing. We know instinctively almost, don't we, that the new year is a time of rejoicing, of feasting, verse 3, and blowing trumpets and so on. Perhaps the reason we know that is because God has put it in us to rehearse for the great feast day and the final blowing of trumpets when the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God and we shall always be with the Lord. There's reason for rejoicing, not only for who the Lord is in the present, not only as we've been saying, for what he will do in the future when he comes. But there's also reason for rejoicing in verses 4 through 7 for what he's done in the past. For it is a statute for Israel, this new moon feast day, an ordinance of the God of Jacob. He established it for a testimony in Joseph when he went throughout the land of Egypt. I heard a language that I did not know. And here now we hear the Lord's voice in verse 6. I relieved his shoulder of the burden. His hands were freed from the basket. You called in trouble and I rescued you. I answered you in the hiding place of thunder. I proved you at the waters of Meribah. Why should God's people rejoice? Well, one reason is because he went through the land of Egypt and he relieved them of their burdens. And that brings us to a second point. We've spoken about rejoicing, but here in verses 4 through 7, we need to think about relief. Relief. In ancient Israel and Judah, New Year's Day was a time of rejoicing. As they looked forward to what God would do in 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 his blessing of them, but it was also a day of rejoicing as they looked back to the time of the Exodus, back to their slavery in Egypt, back to the burdens that were carving rope burns on their shoulders back to the heavy baskets that were leaving blisters on their palms and how God, verse 6, relieved them of those things, how he delivered them from their enslavement. That's why they were to rejoice every New Year's Day because they remembered what God had done in saving them. And what a picture verse 6 is of our exodus, of our salvation, of our gospel. Couldn't verse 6 have been written about each of us who are believers tonight? Couldn't God have said about us, I relieved his shoulder of the burden, his hands were freed from the basket. Maybe you carried a giant basket full of sins with you through much of your life. You know what they were. You know how even the thought of them perhaps makes you ashamed to this day. Maybe they didn't seem very heavy to you when you were carrying them, but they were, whether you knew it or not, dragging you down slowly to hell. And then you met Christ, and he relieved your shoulder of the burden, and your hands were freed from that basket. Or maybe you read verse 6, and you think not of the sins that you carried, but of the guilt that you carried because of them. Like Christian in the Pilgrim's Progress. You remember... As Bunyan tells it, he began reading the book and he began to have this terrifying fear of judgment. And as a symbol of that judgment and that guilt that he felt, he began to have this heavy burden tied to his back that seemed like it was too much to bear. And maybe you felt that with guilt of your own. How can I ever be saved? How can I ever get free of this? But then you came like Christian to the cross 
and it finally made sense to you why Jesus died, and there at the foot of the cross, he relieved your shoulder of the burden, and your hands were freed from the basket of guilt. And then there's also the burden of the law when we try to use it to save ourselves from our sins. The weight that comes when we're trying to please God by all of our own do-betters and try-harders and make-up-fors. Maybe you, like the Galatians, began by trusting Christ alone and it felt like the weight came off of you and it did, but maybe somewhere along the line you began to start to think that you had to achieve near perfection in order to keep God happy. And that became a weight to you. The law, the commandments of God, which are intended to be good for us, which are not a burden, which are holy and righteous and good, actually felt to you like a great basket that you couldn't carry. And then the gospel came to you afresh. And Christ said to you afresh, I relieve your shoulder of the burden, and I release your hands. I free your hands from the basket. All of this is cause for rejoicing, isn't it? Blowing trumpets, singing for joy to God our strength, shouting joyfully to the God of Jacob because he's relieved our burden and freed our hands from this heavy basket. Has that happened to you? Verse 6, do you know the relief of the gospel? The gospel does many things in our souls, but one of the things it does is provide relief. If you had your own personal exodus, a loosing of the bonds, a freeing of the burden... If not, know that only Jesus can speak Psalm 81.6 to you. He's the only one who can say to you, I relieved his shoulder of the burden and his hands were freed from the basket. And if you will come to him, he will do it. And when he does, a new day will dawn and you will embark upon the favorable year of the Lord. So we see rejoicing We see relief in this psalm, but then having relieved his people of their burdens, the Lord offers in the third place reproof. Reproof in verses 8 through 10. Hear, O my people, and I will admonish you, O Israel, if you would listen to me. Let there be no strange God among you, nor shall you worship any foreign God. I, the Lord, am your God, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. That's a reproof, an admonishment, as it's called in verse 8. The Israelites needed this annual reproof, this annual reminder to put away their foreign gods. And so every New Year's Day, they were to read this again. Listen to me. Don't worship strange gods. Put them away from you. And they needed that every year because they were prone, like we are, to worship idols. They were prone to trust in their own creations in their own devices to satisfy their souls. They were prone to become just like their pagan neighbors and to bow to the same things that they bowed to. And so God constantly reminded them, verse 9, let there be no strange God among you, nor shall you worship any foreign God. I wonder if there's anybody that needs that reminder tonight. I know I do all the time. We're tempted, aren't we? We're prone, aren't we, to take the foreign gods to ourselves. So let me just ask you, to what are you tempted to turn for satisfaction? What is it? Is it something that 
you are tempted to put in your body that you hope will satisfy you, or perhaps something that you are tempted to let through the gate of your eyes that you think will thrill you, or is it some task or some goal or achievement or status that will finally make you feel like you've made it? Maybe I should put it like this. What kinds of things tend to keep you from the Bible? What kinds of things tend to keep you from prayer? What kinds of things tend to keep you from doing what you know God would have you to do? That's what idols do, isn't it? They take the place of God and take us from God. So whatever it is for you, and I know some of the things that it is for me, whatever it is, let there be no strange God among you, now, nor shall you worship any foreign God. After all, the Lord says in verse 10, it wasn't those gods who brought you up from the land of Egypt. It was I, the Lord, right? It wasn't your job or your gadgets or your food or your sports or your drink or your internet vixen or your TV or your money or your spouse or whatever it is. It wasn't any of those things that relieved your shoulder of the burden, was it? None of those things freed your hand from the basket. In fact, those are the very things that you were carrying that became even heavier for you. But I, the Lord, am your God, and I'm the one that sets you free. I'm the one that relieved the burden. And not only did I loose your burdens in the past, God says, but verse 10, see, I can fill your soul now, too. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. You're opening it to so many other things, hoping these other things will fill your mouth fill your soul, but he says, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. It's an astonishing promise, isn't it? We try to fill our souls with so many things and we're still never satisfied. But God says, if you come to me, you'll be satisfied. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Open your mouth wide to my word. Open your mouth wide to the fellowship of the church. Open your mouth wide to the practice of prayer, and I will fill it. Let there be no strange God among you, nor shall you worship any foreign God, but instead open your mouth wide, and I will satisfy your soul. That is God's New Year's reproof for his people, his reminder to them to put away foreign gods. But even with such reproof, says the Lord in verses 11 and 12, but my people did not listen to my voice and Israel did not obey me. So I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own devices. And then in verse 13, in addition to the reproof, now comes a call fourthly for repentance. Repentance. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. Verses 8 through 10 are a reproof. They are an admonition not to sin. Don't let yourself have any foreign gods. Let there be no strange God among you. Those verses are an admonition not to sin. But verse 13 now is a call to change and to repentance after we've done so, after we've sinned. My people did not listen to my voice, and Israel did not obey me, so I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own devices and here's the call, oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. And again, I wonder if these verses speak to anyone tonight. I wonder if there's anyone whose heart has become hard 
and stubborn like the folks in verse 12 from weeks or maybe months of not listening to the Lord. I wonder if there's anyone here who's grown callous in your soul, cynical in your heart. And if so, would you not begin again tonight to listen? Maybe you've been listening in some areas, but you've not been listening in in some areas. And you know what they are. And God says to you tonight, Oh, that my people would listen to me. That Israel would walk in my ways. And I wonder if that strikes a chord with anyone tonight. Oh, that my people would listen to me. That Israel would walk in my ways. Is there something for which you need to repent tonight? Some area of obedience in which you need to take your fingers out of your ears? Would you do that? Would you listen to and walk with the Lord once more? And as you ponder that, listen now to the promises God makes to those who do. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would quickly subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. Those who hate the Lord would pretend obedience to him and their time of punishment would be forever. But I would feed you with the finest of wheat of the wheat and with honey from the rock. I would satisfy you. And that brings us to our last heading tonight, namely reward. When God reproves and you repent and you begin to listen and walk in his ways, there is reward. Now, do you remember what was one of the chief reasons the Israelite often had the kind of enemies that are spoken of there in verse 14? Why did Israel have enemies that made life difficult for them? It was God's discipline often, wasn't it? Not always, but often. For instance, in the book of Judges, we see this pattern again and again and again, don't we? The people would forget God, and God would sell them into the hands of the Philistines or the Moabites or what have you. But then, under that discipline and oppression, they would cry out to the Lord. And what did the Lord do? He'd send them a deliverer, wouldn't he? Ehud or Gideon, all of these individuals who came as foreshadowings of Christ to rescue God's people from the consequences of their sin. And though Psalm 81 was written at a later date than the book of Judges, the Lord here portrays for us the same sort of pattern and the same sort of promise. We see the Judges pattern here in this story, don't we? The people forget God. God reproves them and even disciplines them. Verse 14, he he gives them enemies. But if they would cry out to the Lord, if they would listen and return, he would deliver them. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would quickly subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. When the people of Israel repented, God put down his paddle. He put down his switch, his rod. And when we repent, he'll do the same thing. That's what Psalm 103 teaches us, isn't it? He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. And not only does repentance stay God's hand of discipline in verse 14, it also brings positive reward in verse 16. 
I would feed you with the finest of the wheat and with honey from the rock. I would satisfy you. If God's people of old would listen, he said, there would be great temporal blessings for them. Blessing on their land. I would feed you with the finest of the wheat and with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. Now, I've been quoting Matthew Henry again and again in these Psalms. It's because he's just so helpful to me in this part of the scriptures. Listen to what he says about verse 16. Besides the precious products of the fruit of the soil, he's talking about the finest of the wheat in the first part of the verse, besides the precious products of the fruit of the soil, that there might not be a barren spot in all their land, even the clefts of the rock should serve for beehives, and in them they should find honey in abundance. That's what the honey from the rock is about. In other words, they were going to reap a harvest not only in the field, but from the rocks. They were going to get blessing even from the most unlikely of places. They were going to be blessed in ways that they hadn't worked for, that they never could have expected. Even the barren rocks would ooze honey for them. That's how much God desired to bless his obedient people. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would feed you with the finest of the wheat, and with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. Think about that in your own life. When you obey, God will cause honey, as it were, to spring even from the rock. He will bless you in ways you could never have anticipated and from sources that you would never have thought would yield anything for you. Some of you have experienced that, haven't you? From the most unlikely sources, God brings honey into your life. Now, sometimes God gives us honey from the rock even when we haven't obeyed, doesn't he? That's the essence of the gospel, isn't it? That God has given us salvation, forgiveness, right relationship with himself, adoption into his family, eternal life, none of which we deserve. But the point of this psalm is that when we do listen to the Lord, when we do walk in his ways, more and more do we find blessing from unexpected sources. More and more rocky soil seems to become faithful. More and more honey seems to drip even from the rocks. Now, this may certainly be true sometimes in temporal terms. We may, like the Israelites, receive temporal blessings sometimes as a reward for our obedience, though this is by no means always the case. It's probably not even the norm in this New Testament era, but there are times when we just get physical blessings from God because we've obeyed him. But I think verse 16 certainly always applies to spiritual blessings. Honey from the rock. Some passages of Scripture may seem to you when you open up your Bible in the morning fairly barren. You may open up and say, this looks like a field full of rocks. I don't know that I'm going to get much out of this passage. I don't think I'll glean very much from this genealogy that I'm about to read or this long list of judgments, or this difficult passage in the prophets that I'm not sure I really understand. But if you will listen to the Lord, verse 13, you'll often find in that obscure or difficult passage a little scoop of honey that will stay on your tongue all day long. Haven't you experienced that? 
God, God just drops honey into your lap from a place that you least expected it. And this principle of honey from the rock, I think, also applies to suffering and sorrow and frustration and disappointment, too. All those seasons of life and those events in life that seem as gray as a stone and just as fruitless. But don't you often find that if you'll keep listening to the Lord and walking with him, that those rocks in your life have honey in them? I think this is a principle that applies all across the board. Some of the greatest lessons in faith, some of the greatest blessings of God's tenderness come during seasons of difficulty, unexpectedly, just like honey from the rock. The point again at the end of the psalm is a faithful life is a blessed life. If my people would listen to me, I would feed them with the finest of the wheat and with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. A faithful life is a blessed life, not in a TBN, health, wealth, and prosperity sense, but simply in the fact that those who listen to God seem to find his goodness underneath every rock that they turn over. And his smile, as Cooper put it in the hymn, behind every gray cloud of providence. Those who listen to the Lord find honey in the most unlikely places. So, Sing for joy to God our strength. Shout joyfully to the God of Jacob. Let there be no strange God among you, nor shall you worship any foreign God. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would feed you with the finest of the wheat, and with honey from the rock I would satisfy you.